Everything F1, driven by fans for the fans. EF1 podcast. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. We're previewing the Portimao Grand Prix, and we've got a special guest, Sean the Statman Kelly. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. I'm also joined by Gary and Adam from the Everything F1 team. And we've also got a special guest joining us this evening, Sean, the virtual Statman Kelly. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? You all right? How are you doing, Gary? You had a good week? Yeah, good. How's everyone? Yeah, I'm good. Um, a nice week. Um, sun's out, was out. Um, yeah, it's good. How about you? Good, good. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Yeah, as you say, sun's out. Bit, bit chilly in the evening, but never mind. Uh, Adam, how are you? Yeah, Grant. Uh, as Gary said, it's been a good week, uh, except for today. It's sort of been a bit plus three today. It hasn't been as good as the rest of the week, but yeah, Grant. Good, good. And our special guest, Sean Kelly, how have you how have you been? You've had a busy week this week? Uh, it, not too bad this week. Thank you for having me on the show, by the way. Uh, not too bad this week. Uh, next week's going to be rough because we've got back-to-backs and we've got Formula 3 starting wow. uh, and we've got Formula E in Monaco as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of stuff happening next week. So this is the calm before the storm. Okay. Don't forget to like all of our social media channels. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And don't forget YouTube. We're at JoinEF1. And, of course, our website, www.everythingf1.com. Well, let's head straight in, then, to our Portuguese Grand Prix preview, because um, that's our next race that's coming on the calendar uh, in a few days' time. And we have actually only been to this circuit one, one time before, and that was last year. Um, what did you make of the race last year, Sean? Was it was it something was was it a good race statistically? Obviously, you're a stat man yourself, so was it a good race statistically for you, or was it kind of a, a unique thing? Well, um, straight up from the history books, of course, that's where Lewis Hamilton broke the wins record. So um, that will stand in the history books for a good long while yet. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, it was also it had the most on-track passes of any race last year. Okay. Um, so we're going from the racetrack that had the fewest on-track passes at Imola mm-hmm. to the one with the most in Portimao. I think it was 58 uh, off the top of my head. I'd have to double-check. But um, yes, so passing's not a problem. Unfortunately, last year we had a race where, where the first eight laps were really interesting and then it kind of settled down into just the usual. Um, it's a bit of a shame because of the first eight laps when Carlos Sainz took the lead by passing the Mercedes, you were thinking, what's going on? Mm-hmm. This, uh, this, isn't, this is a change to the advertised program. <laughs> this doesn't normally happen. Um, but unfortunately, that little bit of drizzle that caused the Mercedes to be compromised on tyre temperature soon passed and normal service was resumed. But hopefully, we'll get something like that for a more prolonged period this weekend. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, yeah, we're talking about, uh, obviously, last year's race. Uh, that was a great start by Carlos Sainz. But uh, was, it, was it something with the Mercedes uh, tyres that was the issue, Gary? Do you, do you remember the race? Obviously, uh, having, having a bit of trouble at the start, weren't they, Valtteri Bottas and uh, Yeah, it was, uh, it was the... Um, it was wet. Um, the track was new. Um, so you get that um, 
the the oils come up through the track, um, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's wet. Um, new track, um, they weren't warming their tyres up as as quickly as say some of the other cars like Kimi, um, Carlos, the McLarens were warming their car uh, warming their tyres up a lot quicker. Um, so yeah, yeah, you had that exciting start to the race. Um, I personally like the track because it's. Um, it's very old school undulations, um, very fast. Massive undulations. It's like a yeah, thing. it's 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 a cool track. It's a really cool track. So I'm really looking forward to uh, this race. How about you, Adam? What what stood out from last year's race for you? <laughs> Unfortunately, it reminded me last year of uh, how far ahead the Mercedes, especially Lewis Hamilton, were on the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, um, by the end of the race, he had lapped up to I think fourth fourth or fifth um place so yeah so fifth fourth yeah so it was just crazy just to watch it and see and he was gaining on his teammate as well i think he finished let me see it was 25 seconds ahead of bottas mm-hmm. at the end so it was one of those races where hamlin just scurries off into the distance and uh but not for the first a bit scary not for the first three laps at least at least we had uh some excitement no, at, at, at first that, yeah one of the most the exciting on. uh points of last year um apart from maybe monza um where you got to see the mclarens up the front yeah for the first time in a long time mm-hmm. even though it only lasted a few laps but it was, it was really good to see yeah i certainly screamed at the tv when that happened as a, a not so secret mclaren fan um so let's talk about the track it's the autodromo international duel garve it, the length is 4.653 kilometers uh, total race distance of 306.826 kilometres. Uh, the number of laps this year is number is 66, and the lap record is held by the one and only Lewis Hamilton, and he broke the record last year at 1 minute 18.750 seconds. The first Grand Prix was there in 2020, so we've only had one. And it's, you know, a, a great track that we all seem to enjoy, and we all seem to like the look of, uh, even when we hadn't raced there yet. Um, obviously, we'd seen maybe MotoGP or any other formulas uh, racing there, and obviously thought it was going to be a brilliant race just by the look of it. Um, so, you, you, you as a stat man will know. Uh, have any other formulas? Has any other formulas ri- uh, driven there that, and created some good racing? Have you, do you remember any great racing at the same track? Um, well, my first recollection of the track is when we did GP2 there back in 2009. Right. And uh, Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a few F1 alumni in that race. Yeah. Future F1 alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we also did a test there. We did an F1 test as well, um, which Vettel, Vettel's, Vettel was an F1 driver at that point, but did not participate in that test. And Alonso did. Because Alonso, Alonso, that was the first time Alonso had run the 2009 Renault. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they all went into it last year with a relatively restricted understanding of the racetrack. Daniel Ricciardo had won the F3 title there. He won the British F3 title. Of course he won the British F3 title in Portugal because that just makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, so a few drivers had a bit of experience. But also the uh, when we raced there in GP2, the first corner was a hairpin because there's, con- there's two corner configurations that first corner. You can go into a tight sort of double hairpin or you can go yeah. to that fast right-handed sweeper and they went for the fast right-hander which is which is kind of cool because it's a little bit more difficult for the car than just the standard point and squirt stuff but um yeah clearly we were going to get a new lap record last year because the previous lap record for that layout was held by nicolas lapierre in a port in a peugeot 908 
European Le Mans car, I think, oh. if I remember correctly. Uh, so yeah, it's like 20 seconds slower. Um, <laughs> it's always going to happen there. But yeah, but it was always intended. It was always intended that this racetrack would be for uh, F1. It was designed to F1 standards, um, and it always seemed a bit of a shame that it, it never got its chance. And it, it was nice that it, it got used at long last, and people got to see, saw people got to see how good of a racetrack it actually is. Yeah. As for a mo- uh, for a modern racetrack, as you mentioned, there's a lot of elevation change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very wide. Um, it's number one in overtaking, as I mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, what's not to love? And for Portugal, by the way, it also tied, this is a weird one, it also tied the all-time record for uh, longest gap between two races in the same country. Because it's been 24 years since the Portuguese Grand Prix was last held at Estoril. Okay. Now, can you guess which country previously held the record? Gary. As you started for 10. Gary's asked that, man. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to think. Um... Well, I can I can help Phil here because I, one thing I was going to mention was this was the only this was as close as we got last year in the pandemic ravaged 2020 to a normally attended Grand Prix. It had the highest attendance of the year. Yeah, we had we had we had Paddock Club, um, which is a surefire. That's that's the litmus test for how normal we're being. <laughs> there was actually a Paddock Club um, because for those who don't know, all the Paddock Club stuff went virtual last year, but through through a partnership with Zoom. Right. Um, which I fortunately I am happy to be involved with. Um, but so uh, there was a real paddock club in Portimao and our virtual paddock club was actually beamed into the real paddock club. So oh, okay. that was a slightly, slightly odd experience. Yeah. Uh, people, people sending me videos from the racetrack saying, there's you on the screen, but you're not even here. I was like, yeah, I mean, miracle, eh? So what, how Formula One's changed, that would never have happened in Bernie's days. What I was going to say is actually, obviously F1 did an absolutely fantastic job last year by putting a, a calendar together. Uh, and obviously they pulled this uh, track kind of out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere. It's always always been there, as you say. But um, it 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 was exciting. Uh, it was the fact the fact that it was it was pulled together. Um, uh, and we are so proud uh, as fans uh, of F1 for doing that. Um, how kind of was was Portugal something that was always in the running as soon as the as soon as the um, pandemic hit? Was that was that something you, you've got knowledge of at all? Yeah. Basically, what had happened was anyone who had grade one safety license, FIA grade one safety license, or the likelihood of being able to get one. Yeah. You know, maybe, they, maybe they hadn't had the re- an inspection recently, so the, laps, the license had lapsed in the case of Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Um, so any, any track that had that and was based in Europe was basically p- put your hand up. Do you want yeah. a race? It was kind of like that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, because the normal the normal um, business model th- was thrown out. You know, there's no like, okay, give us fifty million dollars and you know the economic effect of the region. Like, well, there's no fans, so it's like, mm. guys, you're gonna have to just mend and make do here. You know, we we've got to get the race on. We've got to have fifteen races. If we don't have fifteen races, then we owe all this money back to um, the TV companies. That's that. You know, that's contractual obligations. We have to get fifteen on the board. Um, and then it was just the case of, look, when can you fit them in? Yeah, um, which is why we ended up going to the Nurburgring in in October, which is never advisable. <laughs> um, but but we got the race on, so mm. you know more power to them. And um, it meant we got to see Formula One cars on circuits that we otherwise wouldn't have done, like here and and Mugello, Mugello, which hasn't which hasn't been altered since it was built in 1974. We got to see a Formula One car race around a 1974 racetrack, <laughs> um, and you saw 
the evolution of F1 by how fast they were going around some of those corners. 196 miles an hour around Arabiata 2, which is wow. just extraordinary speed around a corner. And they were going flat as well. It's not it's not flat in any any anything else. <laughs> and they're bollocking around there at 196 flat out. So extraordinary speeds. Would you be able to... We've gone a bit of a tangent, but I don't mind. Uh, would you be able to com compare the speed uh, of, uh, of a car when they did race there previously? Would well, they'd never race in F1. They'd, they'd never race in F1. They'd never raced an F1 race at Mugello oh, before. Okay. It had always been using it as a testing venue. Right. Um, but they were a good few seconds quicker. The last time we used it for proper testing, I think was in... Oh, I think it was in 04. Right. Uh, I can't remember completely off the top of my head right now, but um, but certainly it it fell out of favor in the early 2010s as testing became restricted and the test sessions that we did have were a little bit more organized with all the teams present. Uh, before that, it was a little bit more scattered. So yeah. Ferrari would go off and do two days at Imola and McLaren would go to Paul Ricard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, it, Magella was best known actually amongst, amongst the, the current generation of F1 drivers. Magella was the place where Kimi Raikkonen had had his first test and the funny thing was that the 20th anniversary of that test came up, I think, on the weekend that we went to Magello to race last year. Okay. By, extra by extraordinary coincidence. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. So it was a nice know, anniversary it, for him, really, with the, with the Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was a track that a lot of the drivers already knew. It wasn't alien territory, but it was alien to be racing an F1 car there. Yeah. Um, and, and it was also nice to see Mick Schumacher out there in the 2004 Ferrari before the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Rem yeah. reminding yeah. us reminding us of all the things that we've done wrong in life since 2004 <laughs> <laughs> I've got um, I'm, I've got I've got three or four racetracks in my head now I forgot what the question um, was oh the, the, lo longest, the gap. longest gap yeah, the longest gap the longest okay, gap okay, I should so say before you go on it's yeah. the longest gap between races in the same country it doesn't need to be the same racetrack okay so the four countries that most of them have got um, of, of the same track, actually. Um, was, one was Mexico, because that was 92 to 2016 or something like that. Is that right? Um, so that was a, what was that? That was a 24-year gap. Is that correct? 2015. So it was 23 years. 2015. So it's 23. Um, the only other ones um, I could think of was possibly Argentina, but I think that's, that's a shorter gap. Um, the the other one is the Dutch Grand Prix, but that's not happened yet, so that yes. that's a big, big, big gap. The, the, um, the, and the then, Dutch Grand Prix will be the record holder when yeah, it finally yeah, holds yeah. a race because yeah. the last race was in '85, so it'll be 36 yeah. years now. So that yeah. will that will take this record from Portugal okay. in September. But which who held the record before Portugal had 24 years this time? So it must be Mexico, surely. No. no. Um, the only other the only other circuit I can think of is like Casablanca or something, but that's like old old school, and I don't know what the gaps were between between no, the races. I think Casablanca is the only, well, Morocco is the only country that's held one world championship one. race. Okay. Um, yeah. Other than countries that have you know, at least pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. The one one intended race. Put him out of his misery. Yeah, and put then him out of his misery, then Sean. Let's let's hear yeah. Him, let's hear him. <laughs> Put, yeah. put him out of our listeners' misery. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually a it's trick got... question. The previous, the previous record holder is Portugal. Um, oh, pr Portugal so. went uh, yeah, 20, yeah, previous, yeah. Portugal went twenty-four years between racing in in 
Porto in 1960 and Estoril in 84. And by sheer coincidence, it was the exact same gap again. So Portugal's done that twice. Um, I, I, I'm concerned that we haven't heard Adam. So I was going to ask Adam, actually, if you wanted to, uh, to give us the, uh, the times to expect the race this weekend and all the qualifying sessions. You've got it in the list in, in ahead of you. So if you could uh, read those out and our listeners will know then when to tune in onto Sky or maybe highlights later on Channel 4 or any other network that they have access to. Yeah, so UK times, uh, FP1 will be uh, 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. UK time. Uh, FP, yeah, FP2 is 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, FP3 on Saturday morning will be 12 p.m. noon to 1, a, 1 p.m. Qualifying will be 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And then the race will start at 3 p.m. Ooh, okay. Are we expecting weather to take uh, to make uh, an effect on the race this weekend I've, I've looked at weather reports and it's cold I don't think so yeah it's cold I think, I think, it's, I think it's, it'll uh, be dry but cold yeah I, I wouldn't expect I wouldn't expect any rain to come in because it's one of the driest periods of the year in that region of Portugal okay so it would be it, it happened in September kind of half and half yeah um, but for it to happen in May would mm -hmm. be rather more out of character so I, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one <laughs> Fair enough. I, hopefully, I'm jinxing it. Hopefully, I'm jinxing it, and it's a washout, and we have a really exciting race. Do we need it in that, that track, though? As you say, you've got the most overtakes. Will it will it provide those overtakes with, with the dry weather? Well, I, I I I give you this evidence. Last year, we had the most overtakes in the Portuguese Grand Prix, and after lap eight, it was a dull race. So, overtaking on its own does not mm -hmm. necessarily make the race interesting. Um, Although I think the um, I think the DRS was a bit too powerful last yes, year. Yes, they did. I think uh, they shortened it. People were just flying past. Have they shortened? I don't know. I haven't. I, I haven't happen. heard that they have. Um, but they, they might be thinking with the reduction in downforce that the DRS won't be as powerful the way it is at the moment. So because I know the last race they lengthened it. Mm -hmm. Not yes. thinking about how the cars lost downforce was even more powerful this time. So. I think they're just yeah, it, leave it, it, it definitely needed to be a longer DRS zone in Imola because Imola's yeah. Imola was really difficult to pass it. Mm -hmm. The 2006 San Marino Grand Prix was the last race at Imola before last year. There was one on-track pass in the race, and it was for 18th place. So we knew <laughs> this is a really hard track to pass on. We need all the DRS we can get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's hope let's hope it's not too powerful this time because, um, as you say, they weren't necessarily exciting. Uh, passes after, well, you say lap lap six or lap lap eight or something like that. I thought, with the exception, with the exception of Sergio Perez, of course, he got spun to the back at the start and ended up finishing seventh. I think it was. Yeah, let's let's talk about Perez then, because obviously he is he got spun out by his now teammate uh, at Red Bull, uh, Max Verstappen. Um, do we think we're going to have a running with the pair again? They're obviously, I know Ma uh, Max is probably being given priority by the team, although they're kind of denying that that is a, that is a, uh, at play. Um, but Perez has got something to prove after a couple of, you know, not necessarily best uh, point scoring uh, positions uh, for this start, for the start of this season. So do you think he's going to be be an extra pokey this week, making sure he tries to get as close to the front as possible? Uh, we'll go to Gary first. What, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I definitely think there's going to be a few races this season where he's going to beat Max. Um, it sounds surprising, but I think that's going to happen. Um, there's going to be tracks that suit him. Mm -hmm. um, Max will have the upper hand over the the um, the whole season, but I think um, Perez will beat him on occasion. 
And he, he's getting the hang of that car. I mean, he had the hang of it on the first race in Bahrain, um, you know, to get it from 20th to 7th. Was it 7th this time? Uh, in, in the race. Was, he's 5th. 5th oh, in Bahrain. Fifth. Oh, see, we're getting it wrong. But 5th in Bahrain. Uh, it, was, it was just an absolutely amazing drive. So we're hoping he'll have something similar again. What, what do you think the, the partnership's going to be like yourself, Sean, uh, between Max and Perez, either in this race uh, and then eventually long-term in the season? Well, he had a... a, a unfortunate qualifying in Bahrain when he was knocked out in Q2 when Red Bull were trying to sneak in on the medium tyre mm-hmm. but I think what was lost in that was the gap between him and Verstappen in that Q2 session was three and a half tenths and Verstappen made it into Q3 uh-huh. Perez didn't Yeah. If, if Perez had been in Q3 and had been a three and a half tenths slower than Verstappen it would have been a Red Bull front row lockout mm. and when he got to Q3 in Imola he was on the front row so he would, he would not have been on the front row at Imola, I should say, if Verstappen had not messed up his last Q3 lap. If he hadn't made that mistake at the Tamborella chicane, Verstappen's three best sectors would have put him on pole by two or three tenths. So right. he should have been... Verstappen messed it up. Verstappen... He, he amended it in the race, of course, but, yeah. but it should have been Verstappen's pole position and Perez would have been third on the grid. But that still stands as progress because we haven't had two Red Bulls up at the front for a while. You know, I've facetiously said that Red Bull have been operating a one-car team since Ricardo left. Um, yeah, it, it, they certainly have been kind of, as I say, driving with one hand behind their back, really, um, with their, their second drivers. <laughs> one car behind their back. Yeah. <laughs> it, they, they certainly need that, that second uh, driver to kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons uh, with the Mercedes team. And it looks like this year that they've got the strongest, strong enough car to do so. In fact, it looks like they've got the strongest car on the grid. Uh, can you evidence that statistically? Well, the very fact that Verstappen was on pole in Bahrain, Verstappen should have been on pole at Imola. Mm-hmm. And the the margin that Verstappen was on pole in Bahrain was the largest margin that a Red Bull had been on pole since Verstappen, since Vettel won his last Grand Prix in 2013, which, wow. as you'll recall, was when he won nine in a row to seal yeah. his fourth consecutive world title and Red Bull's fourth consecutive constructors' title. So... That's something we haven't seen in the hybrid era. That was the end of the V8s. Then we moved into the hybrids, and Red Bull had never been the same. Mercedes just advanced, and they've been there ever since. Yeah. So to have Red Bull in that, uh, to have that level of pace from the Red Bull is 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 new. And Verstappen really should have won in Bahrain. Um, mm-hmm. Whether if he'd left it another lap to make his move, or if he just stayed in front and pulled out five seconds in anticipation of a penalty, yeah. I think he could have done that. So, yeah, it's unusual to be discussing Mercedes in a genuine, like genuine evidence that they are not the fastest team. It's always mm. been speculative evidence up until now. Like may, they made a mistake or something like that. No, no, no. Yeah. They are genuinely not the quickest right now. And the, the, the evidence is always in the number two driver whenever you have these situations. Botas had a dismal weekend in Imola, mm-hmm. even before he ended up trying the scenery out. <laughs> he'd he'd already even he was in he was in ninth at the time. Yeah. So, the idea that a Mercedes fighting fighting with a Williams. No right. Less. The idea that a Mercedes <laughs> is being passed on merit for position by a Williams, that George Russell got close enough to him to actually hit the car <laughs> in a battle. For, that's how close he got to him. Um, yeah. This is not something we get into normally, and in and in the previous seasons it was it was the other way around with Red Bull. It was you know Albon. Yeah. And Gasly could not get to grips with that car. And Verstappen was probably 
propping it up a little bit using his mm. skill. Now I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Perez is miles quicker than Albon and Gasly. The car is obviously has advanced a lot, but I think also Perez Perez with 10 years experience in Formula 1 and not being a Red Bull guy and I think this is critical. I think Re he's able to come in and start shouting the odds to them saying we you don't do it like this. You know, we you, you this is wrong, we're doing this wrong. Yeah. I think Gasly and Albon psychologically at least would have felt a bit reticent about shouting the odds because they would have thought Red Bull have given me a career Helmut yeah. Marco's somebody I'm trying to impress mm -hmm. but I don't want to piss people off but sometimes in Formula 1 and I've learned this myself from my own career sometimes you need to piss people off to get things going the way they're supposed to be going yeah. and, and it can be a two way street sometimes they have to piss me off to, for me to do my job properly I'm like yeah you're right actually I, I hate to admit it but yes and Perez, I'm sure, speaks with a lot more authority. Having spent, he had spent that year at McLaren. I know it wasn't all that great. Um, mm. He's been at McLaren. He went to McLaren. It didn't work out. He's already had that that sort of that opportunity in his career, which he thought had come and gone. Yeah. And he's not going to make that mistake a second time. He's not going to go no. in a second time with a car that can win races and think, okay, I'm going to be softly, softly. He's probably going to be much more. Um, up front and say no guys you've got to do it like this otherwise we're going to mess this up so I think that's where Perez probably has the advantage not necessarily that he's a much quicker driver than Albon or Gasly and we've seen how quick Gasly is when he got out of Red yeah. Bull mm -hmm. just that experience of being of knowing when to call a spade a spade basically yeah and obviously years of experience as well within the sport and that, that, that stands for you know a lot really uh, within Formula 1 um, as, as you say a cool He'll have more of, more of a cool head as well when he's under pressure um, and hopefully be able to put the pressure on himself uh, when, when needed. Um, let's talk about kind of the second man in the Mercedes seat then. Obviously, you, you've, you've alluded to Bottas having uh, a terrible race uh, last, last race. Obviously, ended up in the, in the wall practically. Well, he was in the wall um, because of the incident with George Russell. Do you think this year is kind of it's it's the time that he's under under the most pressure that he's been at his time with Mercedes because you know we've got that young whippersnapper uh, George Russell uh, chomping at the bit wanting wanting that seat in Mercedes do you think Bottas is, is is maybe feeling a bit more pressure this year and that's maybe why what's affecting his performance I think what puts pressure on Bottas right now is how quick the Red Bull is because up until right. now Mercedes have had a very comfortable bed to lie in and they always knew there was that little margin where, okay, things don't go wrong. Things don't go right this weekend. Probably have a lot more weekends to sort this out. You know, mm -hmm. our car is so demonstrably quicker that eventually we'll all, you know, it'll all gravitate to the mean. And the mean is that the two Mercedes are quicker than everybody else. Uh -huh. And I feel like Botus has been surfing that rave for quite a long time now. Um, because he, last year, last year Hamilton missed a race. Didn't compete yeah. in all the races in the championship. And beat Botas by a hundred points. What does that say about the power structure there? It says that Botas is never going to beat him. And I actually had yeah. this. I had this epiphany during the Portuguese Grand Prix last year. There was a specific moment, like twenty laps in, when Hamilton was clearing off at the front, and mm -hmm. it's complete. And it's a complete clear battle. Like there's no one around them, and you just realise. Yeah. Next. Yeah. He just. 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 Maybe just doesn't have it. Is it is it probably a journeyman in the sport? Do you agree, Gary? What, what what's your opinion? Um, yeah, I think um, obviously when you've got the quickest car, um, 
you both your drivers look good. Um, you've seen it across um, across the Formula One history, um, and a lot of people were saying, "Oh, Hamilton, you know, he's only winning because he's he's got the best car." But I think this season, particularly uh, Turkey last year as well, there's been many occasions where he's not had the best car, and the cream rises to crop, and the uh, cream rises to the top, and. The same thing has happened with Red Bull and Verstappen over the last few years. He's managed to rise his performances above the level of the car. Mm. And I think you're seeing that now with Hamilton and, and, and with Bottas, he's not able to do that. So when you've got a, a really dominant car, he can win races, he can beat Hamilton, he can finish second to Hamilton. Um, but when the car's not there that's when you see the performance of, of the best drivers and, and we're seeing that with Lewis this season we saw that with Max last season the season before um, I think his, his seat is probably in threat in, um, uh, it's going to be taken by George um, I think that's kind of what George was alluding to after the crash at uh, Imola well I would, I would, um, I would it, add it may be- sorry to interrupt I would add that Bose's best friend in this is Lewis because yeah. I, I, I think Lewis is aware that it, it benefits him to not have an overly threatening teammate. And I, I always Absolutely. I was always struck by the remark he made post race at the Nürburgring last year. When Bose strong armed him at the first corner, I think it was. And afterwards he was asked, you know, what what do you think of that move by Bosus there? And Lewis said, I was really proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> now, take a minute. Can you imagine Senna? with Prost as a teammate saying I was really proud of the way Prost defended that position at Suzuka in 1989 yeah. no you cannot no, and the reason the, the reason you cannot is because he was a threat you know yeah. you a don't genuine, say a don't say you don't say that about a driver that where you think this guy is genuinely a threat to my income yeah, yeah, and 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 you saw it with with Nick. Nick Nico managed to sort of manipulate the mind um, with with Lewis and got under his skin and beat him. And um, you know, we always knew Lewis was a quicker race driver than Nico in the Mercedes. But Nico did things with his qualifying and the way he raced to beat him. And um, yeah, they both had bad luck over 2016. But um, he came out with a championship. I don't, I'm not sure. And and obviously, Lewis was was a lot more tense in those days than he is now because like you say he's got a uh, um, it's a more relaxed relationship with the number two driver you know, what did you just call him driver. I'm sorry what was that word you, what was that number <laughs> Num- number you... two number two <laughs> um, but uh, do, do you really think he needs to worry about who his teammate is I mean Michael Schumacher retired from Ferrari in 2006 I'm presuming because he was worried about the pace of Kimi Raikkonen coming into the team and that's why he he, he stood down and let Felipe take the seat um, but in all reality um, I'm thinking if if, if if Michael had stayed he probably would have beaten Kimi that, that season um, so do you think the rationale behind Lewis worried about having a fast teammate should be there because he's, he's proven throughout this, the seasons that when he's in a car that's not the quickest car, he can he can bring that level up and win races. Um, so does he really need to worry about who his teammate is? I don't think so. I, th- I don't think he does worry, really. Uh, I, think no. it's, I think it's probably a worry that people put on him. I don't think he... I think he's very self-confident. I think he's very, very sure of his skill and, uh, as a driver. Um, yeah, definitely more so now. I mean, when in, in the earlier years, maybe not... Um, mm. 
with with Jensen, um, you know, with the data at Spa, etc. The tweet with that, yeah. um, definitely with Nico. Nico knew how to to get under his skin, but I think yeah, definitely nowadays he's probably in a better in a better psyche. I now. wonder if um, Lewis is worried about um, George's relationship with Toto, right? And you know, having that fight, I don't think he's worried about can I beat them. He's worried about will I lose my place with Toto if George comes in and George is the new kid on the block and Toto is all this is the next big thing will Toto's focus pull more towards George and fall off um, Lewis I think one of that's something he's worried about well I, I think Toto's got a really good relationship with Lewis anyway haven't they, 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 they mm. you, you remember um, when they were in the contract talks um, and, and all the you know silly season rumours that um, Toto was going to be moving, uh, so he'd, he'd be taking Lewis with him. And Lewis was like, "Yeah, you know, my my place is by the side of Toto. When his contract gets signed, I sign mine too." And that, although that didn't happen, he still took months to uh, to sign. Um, I, I I think he's got quite a close relationship with Toto. Yeah, and Lewis is Lewis has got the legacy, um, and I'm guessing you know George Russell, if that's the next driver, is is going to be the guy that re- that 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 takes that legacy for, with the baton basically mm. um i don't i don't think toto would would necessarily be looking at george's to assert lewis i think it's it's literally a baton thing um where you know lewis has got the legacy and when the time's right for him to to hang up you know hang up his boots or whatever um george comes in um I, i'm not sure i, I don't I don't. I don't think Lewis should be worried about whoever's his teammate. To be honest, I still think he's got a few years left in him. Do you? Do you think so, Sean? Do you think you've got? He's got two years maybe in him, uh, Lewis Hamilton. I, I don't see any reason. I don't see any evidence to say why not. Um, mm. I mean, it's hard to say to somebody, "Hey, you've won every championship but one in the last seven seasons." Um, yeah. Time to retire. Um, <laughs> not so much. Um, mm. And we saw that. You know he's he's able to give. He's the only person who's getting close to Verstappen. So if he retires, yeah. Verstappen walks the title right now. Um, yeah. But I do think that Hamilton is Hamilton is relaxed these days because he doesn't have Rosberg in that car, or he doesn't have a Rosberg, a, a that type of figure. He doesn't have yeah. Alonso from his first season as a Alonso being a political agent provocateur. Um, mm-hmm. And Rosberg the same, because as you mentioned uh, before, uh, Ros- none of us would say Rosberg was a better driver than Lewis. That no. we can all agree. Choose one, you choose Lewis. Mm-hmm. But Rosberg knew how to play the game. He knew how to get under his skin. You know, he really did. Like Gary mentioned, it. it he he was uncomfortably quick over one lap. And he couldn't race him. I never saw a situation where I thought Rosberg properly outraced him in a wheel-to-wheel battle. But he did. Out, mm-hmm. what he did do was he would always consolidate the advantages that he got in qualifying. Like, Rosberg would be uncomfortably quicker than Hamilton a lot of times. And Hamilton would then not come back from that in the race. Rosberg would, would capitalize on that. What Lewis, you, Lewis, if it came down to a last lap Barney, like it did in Austria, like your money's on Lewis. But that didn't yeah. happen. That that didn't happen a lot of times because Nico had it under control at the front, and I think that's what that's what why, why we think of Lewis as being a better driver than Nico was. Okay, I feel like Lewis can come back from a bad qualifying, 
Like he can mm. he can race, and we saw in Turkey last year just how good of a racing driver he really is, because that was a, a phenomenal race. One of those great races, by the way, the few races in in recent history where there's like no safety cars, no red flag, it was just racing, just mm. all the way, and Lewis still came out on top. Um, and he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that opposition in the in the second car. None of us that look look at you know if it starts raining, for instance, we don't think to ourselves. Oh, it looks like a Valtteri Bottas victory today. No one says that. No one. No. You say, you say, okay, it's Hamilton and Verstappen squared, even more yeah. so. It's like the guys who we know are talented will look even more talented in this in these conditions. Yeah, I think I think um, I think yeah, I agree. Um, the only person I think that that Lewis wouldn't want in the second seat is Verstappen. I think I think he's probably comfortable with everybody else on the grid. Maybe Leclerc. Um, with Lando. The, potentially Lando. I mean, Lando's got to prove himself still. But yeah, he's he's got he's got a lot of potential, hasn't he? I don't think Lando has to prove himself. He's he's more than he's more than shown to me how good he is. Um, he more though certainly as much as Valtteri had at the Williams before before he was putting in yeah I just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking in terms of um yeah he has um he's definitely he's definitely upped, upped his game this season but um there was a lot of times last season and the season before where carlos had better racecraft um and um we're seeing carlos i know he's in a new team but he's struggling against leclerc well it's early doors there yeah this is but uh, but carlos had a lot more experience in f1 at that point last year and especially the year before you know Last year was Lando's second year in F1 against Carlos. Had been in for years and had driven with Verstappen in the um, in the Toro Rosso. Um, so it probably was expected for Carlos to have better um, race craft and race pace. But I think Lando showed, especially last year, his speed over one lap. And then I think now this year we're seeing how he has progressed in his race pace as well. This year. Yeah, I'm not knocking him. I think he's brilliant. Um, I just think this year will be his his year to to really show what he is. Um, and I don't. I, I I just think he hasn't done that yet. So um, consistently, yeah. Yeah. I think he, that's what it is. I think he needs to show that consistency through the whole season. He started off strong last year in the first couple of races, and he just really dipped in the middle, and then sort of came back a bit at the end. But he needs to show that consistent, you know, at the front throughout the whole season. Yeah, well, he's the de facto kind of team leader this year, isn't he? You know, he's he's now the established McLaren driver. So uh, Norris, Norris we're talking about here. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. when, it, when, it, yeah. when it comes to consistency. He's finished the top five last three races in a row, and he's got a seven race point streak. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure. This is a tough audience. Clearly, if you want more from a McLaren driver than that, <laughs> no, no, we could see we could see last year he was he you know after the first thing two or three races he was third in the championship, and then he started dropping down, and he got passed by Carlos as the season went on, but then mm. towards the end, as you say, the last couple of races he started to bring himself back up again, um. So what he needs to do this year is stay in that third place you know or for third fourth throughout the season yeah. and not have the big drops they had previous seasons yeah we're not knocking him we love him he's brilliant yeah. <laughs> well, put it this way if 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 he ended up in a mercedes i i, I mean i wouldn't have any objection to it I, I i don't have anything that says why have you put him in the car no well i yeah i i said to the guys um if, uh over the um the winter break that i think uh lando should be in a mercedes next and not george um i'd love to see that yeah. Would, uh, I think it depends how the McLaren goes the next couple of years. 
whoever he might look elsewhere. And and full disclosure, you know, there was a mid-season rally by Carlos that you mentioned, but Carlos was lucky that he he won the lottery at Monza and ended up on the podium because that was really a lottery race. It could have been anybody up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Norris only lost. And, and Norris Lando was right behind him as well. And uh, right because Norris was fourth in that race, and Norris only ended up eight points short of Sainz in the championship. So, you know, and Sainz, uh, lest we forget, Sainz is you know is more than all this smooth operator stuff he's a genuinely smooth operator i mean we we used to talk to him we used to talk of him in terms of his alonso like ability to get to the end and be somewhere in the points while he does it alonso used to have that yeah. stealthy quality about him like when the car wasn't there he would still bring it home in good and get good points and science has that similar trait and in that first year at toro rosso when there were teammates with verstappen uh, both as rookies uh, he had qualified mm-hmm. verstappen 10 9 so there's nothing wrong with his pace either he's just maybe you know he hasn't wowed us yet at ferrari but then you know the certain four-time world champion didn't wow us at ferrari last year either um yeah i think that what's what ricardo i think will bring the team as well this year is that you know getting the car to the end in the points he may not be as fast as Lando at the minute but he's still there in the points in the top 10 yeah well ricardo scored in the last 13 straight which is the longest streak he's had since 2016 yeah and officially, that's the longest streak in Formula One right now. But we all know, of course, that Hamilton scored in the last uh, fifty-one, but he missed. <laughs> but he didn't appear. He didn't appear in one race, so it doesn't count as, a, yeah. as an official streak, which I think is, I think is a bit barbed, yeah. to be honest, because almost certainly he would have scored in that one as well had he been there. So um, yeah. I think that that should be the real streak. But yes, Ricardo, very good at seeing the flag in a point scoring position. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about kind of back, go back to Portugal because uh, I, I realise we're on the race review and we've done a few tangents. Um, let's make some predictions about what where we think people are going to end up this week. Uh, we've, we've had some predictions from the rest of our team. Uh, they're written down somewhere and I'll find them out a little bit later. Um, but let's go to Gary first. We want, we want your first, second, third. We want your fastest lap. Uh, and who else do we say? First DNF. Okay. Um... I think Mercedes are going to be strong this weekend. Um, I know I know the Red Bull's the fastest car, but um, Mercedes are very good at developing. They were very good there last season. Um, I think Lewis for the win, Max seconds, and I'm just going to let Valtteri come back and, and get a podium. Um, he needs to prove himself. I don't think he's he's quick enough for the top two positions, uh, but I think he'll get third. Um, and then I'll probably go for him with the fastest lap because he'll probably pit near the end to put new tyres on to to get that. Um, first DNF, I'm going to go for Antonio in the Alfa Romeo, um, just just off of that. And uh, number of finishes, number of finishes, I would say sixteen. Okay. Same question to you, Adam. Um, I'm going to go with a Red Bull one two. I think we need it at this point in the season um, with Perez winning the race because he was very strong last year, especially you know getting taken out in the first lap and coming back to seventh, um, and then Lewis third, um, DNF I will go with Stroll because he he DNF last year so he's good form and <laughs> <laughs> doing things like that. Um, number of finishers nineteen. Okay, now now over to our special guest. Are you going to use statistics to uh, formulate your your uh, your results? 
somewhat. I mean, there's not a lot of <laughs> there's not a lot of history to lean on in, in Porsche Mac. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to say that there'll be a Red Bull front row lockout. Um, okay. That really should have been already this season, and it, they kind of messed it up. Um, but I think it'll be Verstappen Perez front row. Um, in the race itself, Perez doesn't have does, Perez hasn't shown me the race pace yet to go with Verstappen. So I think Verstappen wins the race with Hamilton second and Perez third. Okay. Um, and Bottas gets the fastest lap because he's going along in fourth place, and then there's a minute to the next guy. So it's like, okay, there's, here's your free pit stop. Yeah, so you may as well have your bonus point. Um, and I think everybody finishes the race because if it's a dry oh. race, if it's a dry, if it's a dry oh. race um, on a track like this, e- with a, even Mazaspin, everybody, I think everybody finishes this race um, because there's, there's huge, huge expanses of runoff. And the only retirement we had last year was because Stroll and Norris got into each other. So. Yeah, which is the only person that Stroll has crashed with in his F1 career, I believe, is Stroll. Every time he's crashed in a race with another driver, it's always been Stroll. With Norris, you mean? Who was that? As far as I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? How about how about you, James? Me? Well, I'm going to say, well, Lewis Hamilton is always very dominant after a defeat, or at least he tries to be. So I'm going to put him on the top step. Um, and I'm going to say it's going to be quite a close battle between them. Hope, well, I'm hoping for it. And then I'm going to say the Red Bulls uh, in, in the order of Max Verstappen and Perez um, for one, two, and three. I'm going to say DNF uh, is Mazepin because he's had, he had a decent, well, I say a decent race. He, he finished the race, uh, obviously, uh, in, in the last one. That's like a win and, for him. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, but I'm going to say he's going to get a bit overconfident again on the, on the uh, accelerator and, and spin it again somewhere. Uh, and then, sorry if that's the obvious one, and I do apologise um, for that. Uh, and then what was the other one? Finishers? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to go, no, I'm not going to go with all of them, obviously, because I've, I've just said there's going to be a DNF, uh, but I'm going to go with 19 finishers um, to the race. So statistically then, Sean, how many races have we had in the F1 calendar over all the years where everyone's finished? Uh, I'll give you an exact number. It's about seven. Uh, the exact number is, uh, and I, I am checking my database uh, because I, as we just established, <laughs> I can't remember definitively off the top of my head. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, but wow. um, that's crazy. Three, five of them have come in the hybrid era, which people would never would have imagined it happening. But what, where, yeah. where Formula One changed was in 03 when we started implementing part from A rules between qualifying and the race. And then we moved to engines that had to last a whole weekend in 04. And then we had engines that lasted two weekends in 05. From then on, if you look, there was a, a massive drop in the number of mechanical retirements. But, but from 1950 to 2004, only one Grand Prix took place where everybody finished. And that was the Dutch Grand Prix in 1961. That's actually still the, it's still wow. the record for the only race in Formula One history with no retirements and no pit stops. Um, the, wow. next, the next race that we had, the second race where everybody finished, was Indianapolis 05, which, of course, only six cars started the race. Yeah. So that was a bit mm. of a default. Um, but it then happened again at Italy that year. All 20 cars finished that race. In fact, the last finisher in that race, I believe, was Naran Karthikeyan, who was also the last finisher in uh, Europe in 2011, which was another race where everybody finished the race. So Karthikeyan has not only been last in a race with no retirements twice, but he's also the only man okay. to finish 24th in a Grand Prix because Europe, Europe 2011 yeah, because was the only one of these on the list that had 24 starters. 
That's well, correct, yeah. We'll have to take that question off, Gary, because uh, he's already answered it, because that was one of our Yeah, I, 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 prom I, prom I, prompted him to, I prompted him to early, and he's gone straight to the, it. What, what, <laughs> question, what question did I just answer? It was, um, what was the maximum, uh, what was the, 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 the race that had the most finishers in ah. Formula 1 history, and that was that. that it race. was a 2011 yeah. European Grand Prix, and there was 24 of them, and the Ryan Carter came was last. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! You prompted him too early. Too early, Gary. You I'm so, I did. I, I did not think he would skew towards that race. Um, no, just from I, didn't, I didn't see his heading in that direction myself. But that's where we ended up. <laughs> so those are our predictions for the Portuguese Grand Prix. It's uh, looking like an exciting race. We're hoping it's going to be a good race. Um, but let's move on to what's been in the news this week, which hasn't been much. There hasn't been loads of news. One of the news articles that's piqued our, our interest is the fact that Red Bull have they've tempted over uh, the Mercedes um, high-performance powertrains, Ben Hodgkinson. Um, so he's come over to Red Bull to work on their engine. Uh, now, this really is kind of a big... This is big news. This is uh, massive news, in fact. Um, it shows Red Bull's intentions. Uh, of becoming a the, the number one uh, engine engine supplier to themselves, obviously uh, en engine builders uh, for the future. What were your initial thoughts on this, Sean? Uh, obviously, uh, this this has only come out this week, so I'm sure you've seen the news drop. Yeah, um, as if we needed any further evidence that Red Bull are deadly serious about this. Um, Absolutely, it it is. It's really impressive to me that Red Bull don't. They don't see a barrier. They don't say where we're going to get a power unit from. They say, "Oh, screw it! Let's just make our own." <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't. They don't think to themselves, "Oh, well, woe is us" or anything like that. They just think, well, "If we take this into our own hands, we have full control of power unit and chassis. The same way mm -hmm. Mercedes do, the same way Ferrari do. Those guys who have been thrashing us all the way through the hybrid era. Well, now we have yeah. control. We don't have to go to Japan." on all these visits. We, ha we can have the whole thing under, not, not necessarily under one roof, but you know, we can have Quite it all close under. Pro proximity. Yes, yes, they, they, there's a, there's a, a close-knit relationship. Yeah. So that's a major yeah, step forward. For sorry, Gary, go ahead. No, 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 sorry. I was just gonna say, yeah, they've always had one hand tied behind their back during the hybrid era. Um, Mercedes and Ferrari have always refused to supply them power units because they've been scared of them. Um, and like you say, um, it's kind of in their DNA. Um, Red Bull came into Formula One in, in, in the 2000s um, with that philosophy of we're an energy drinks company, but we're going to beat the best Formula One teams in the world. And and, and now they're doing it with the engine. So it's, it's kind of in their DNA. Well, we don't know if they're going to beat them yet, but they've certainly made a massive move by, by hiring this, this guy. And obviously, he's going to be trying to bring some of his team members over as well. I saw in the news that you know there have been conversations with team members from uh, the Mercedes high, high powertrains um, that he'd had over the, the last few weeks. Now, it's important to know that he's not going to have an immediate effect on the, on the engine because he doesn't, he's on gardening leave until 2022, I believe. He's going to so have a phenomenal have... effect on his garden, though. It's going to be really, his garden's <laughs> going to be amazing. <laughs> he's going to have a beautiful garden, but not, not, he's not going to affect that engine uh, immediately. But we assume, uh, because of his 20 years that he's had, with Mercedes that he is going to have a major effect uh, on the development of that engine and the great thing for Red Bull and something that they pushed for was that the 
they, 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 they're going to have an engine freeze until the, the earliest of 2024, I believe. Um, so they, they're going to be working with the engine that they've got um, from Honda now. So hopefully that puts them in good stead for the coming seasons. Uh, and then obviously with this guy coming across from Mercedes uh, in the future, they're going to have also some great development work. What were your initial thoughts on that, Adam? Let's go to you, uh, when you when you heard that news. Yeah, as ever guy said, you know, it's really a statement of intention from Red Bull saying, you know, we're serious about this. Um, they've probably thrown a lot of money mm -hmm. at this guy to get him to move over uh, from Mercedes. It don't seem there'd be, don't seem there's, there's been a lot of turnover in staff at Mercedes. They seem to like to stay there. Mm -hmm. Uh, for a long time, so to actually poach somebody from Mercedes, or well, from um, the uh, from Bricksworth is probably is a big coup uh, for Red Bull, mm -hmm. and it can only make them stronger. Absolutely, I've got his quote here that he said, uh, and he's released with obviously the news article itself. Um, Hodgkinson says uh, it was not easy to make the decision to leave HPP after almost twenty years, but the opportunity to take on such a far-reaching and important project is a great honour. Red Bull is a serious player in Formula One and have been our biggest rival in the hybrid era. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we can achieve together in the new phase of the company's journey. Yeah, uh, we, all, all, we, all we can say and all everyone said is it's, it's a great move by Red Bull. Um, let's, let's hope it does tighten the field uh, and keep the, the, the field tight. Yeah, uh, Sean, sorry. I would say one point that it does beg is why did Honda choose now? Just when they were climbing yeah. the mountain, this is what Honda does. But but no, <laughs> the wrong time to leave. In '92, they left with nothing to prove. They'd won every champ, every constructor championship from '86 through to '91. So we we we'd established that's that that was the benchmark of the first turbo era, and they'd again mm. won with normally aspirated, and they'd even won with the V12. That's still the last V12 championship. Um, yeah. In 08, they pulled out at a time when the car had been terrible for two years and no one was interested as a customer. So it's easy to, with hindsight to say, oh, if only you'd stayed, you know, you would have won the world championship. Well, maybe you wouldn't have done because, <laughs> you know, you didn't have a Mercedes in the back of the car. So, mm. who, you know, yeah. maybe you would not have won that championship. And maybe that's what caused it to happen because it yeah. was your ineptitude that was holding them back, to be, to be blunt about it. Yeah. So, and now again... They had three years at McLaren where they were just diabolical and they got blamed for everything. Then they got out of McLaren and you realize, huh, actually, you know what? Might have been a little bit of blame to go around there because Honda are doing a way a lot better, thank you very much. Now they're at Toro Rosso. And so it proves now they're at Red Bull winning races. And now they're genuinely going for a title and they've said, right, we're out. And you think, well, what was the point of this then? Why did you come in? You know, you spent mm. longer being a laughing stock than you have of being a title contender. And you're just at the point where you can think of the literature last, you know, next year, win on Sunday, sell on Monday, as they always say. And now you're pulling yeah. the plug. I think and you're handing, you're handing the crown jewels to Red Bull. Like, only, only a boardroom was... can do this. Only a boardroom can do this. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's what it is. I think it's the Japanese mentality they have to prove that the money they're spending is worthwhile and after all those years in in uh, mclaren where they weren't winning they weren't you know even finishing races and you know it doesn't matter what might happen in the future with another team it was or what might happen with red bull 
obviously somebody in the boardroom said, no, you've spent enough money, we're doing something else. Yeah. And that was it. It's, it's, it's a strange one because the, the reason they gave last season was, um, oh, we're looking at um, a more kind of um, environmentally friendly future. Um, but So they canned the F1 project, but then they announced uh, the next day um, an IndyCar deal, um, <laughs> multi-years. And, and, and the engines there are combustion turbocharged engines. They're the same as, as Formula 1, even less um, green eco. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I... I I found the whole the reasoning really strange. But at least, but at least they. they yeah, that. I think I think they just weren't getting the 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 money balance right. You know, they weren't getting the return on their investment in F one. So they thought, let's just stop. Let's move somewhere else where we might be able to win races or get podiums and yeah, get a better then, return. But then, why did they make this maximum effort last season to say we're going to put all our eggs in one basket and go for the title this year and our last season with Red Bull? And they produced an engine which is you know comparable to the Mercedes this season. Well, because um, obviously they had money to spend and they had to spend the money and they put all the money in the development of the engine. They did the same with the um, what become the Braun. They put all their money into the chassis. They made this amazing chassis they developed um, with uh, Super Guri. They developed this double diffuser. They put all their money into it and then cleared off. So I think it's just they just put everything into it before they leave and then see what happens. Sean, you were going to say something. Sorry. But despite that frustration, they are at least leaving now and not when McLaren fell apart. Because if they'd left, if they'd left at the end of the McLaren deal, they may never have come back to Formula One again. I'm thinking of mm. the way Porsche. If you're familiar with the Porsche debacle in 1991, when they came back, yeah. they came back into yep. yeah, they came Footwork. back into F1, having won the title with the tag uh, engine in the back of uh, Gary's photograph there. Um, but yeah. as his virtual background, that's the Tag Porsche engine built by Porsche, funded by Tag and Mansaroje. They then came back in 91 with what was basically two of those welded together. So it turned from a turbo V6 to a normally aspirated V12. And the car, and the engine was so heavy that it, it, you know, it took, it, you know, you needed an oil tanker to move it around the, 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 the world. Um, and it and it ripped and it ripped the car apart. The whole in car fell. Whole car um, in that crash. That the car apart like a like a yeah. um, like a black and white silent movie slapstick. Yeah, so it was so heavy it ripped the car um, in two. There's a great the there's a great story of Alan Jenkins who designed that footwork actually going to one of the other teams getting a Ford DFR V8 engine and wheeling it down to show the Porsche engineers, this is a Formula One engine, guys. This is what it's supposed to look like, how heavy it's supposed to be, and what the dimensions are. Yeah, That's what we're looking for. And that's the engine they went to, wasn't it? It is, after a few and races. Porsche never came back. Yeah. Um, and it, no. Well, that's, I think that was one of the problems um, Honda had when they came back, was they, just, they wanted to do it their way. And they didn't look at other teams' engines, they didn't, look, they didn't hire you know, engineers from other F1 teams, they wanted it in-house. And I think that's where they struggled with adapting their their technology to F1. And that's why it took so long to get to the level of all the other teams. Well, I think it was a, it was a two-way street. I think, I think McLaren imposed a lot of design um, parameters upon yeah. them that they just could not do. Size zero. Um, they, weren't, they weren't mature enough as a power unit, a hybrid power unit, um, builder to be able to bring you know, pull that off, um, mm -hmm. but at least they're getting out. I mean, I remember a few years ago in Monaco there was a press a press conference of the Japanese media, and um, you know the Japanese they're, they're very they're very decorum and they're not very they're not very loud or anything like that. So you hear this huddled, mm. you know, hushed in the corner doing the Japanese stuff, and it's like, 
Oh, 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 oh. And and afterwards, and afterwards, we find out that what what they were saying was, "You are bringing shame onto our nation, Great Japan." Oh, wow! It was like it was like that. It was like humiliation. Like, I, and I, I was like, it all sounded terribly polite to us. I didn't. <laughs> but if you were Japanese, it was like the worst, the worst thrashing you could get from the media. Yeah. Well, we all think, well, we, we predicted at the start of the season, actually, the majority of us, that the Red Bull would be the constructor, the, 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 the winning constructor of the season, but not necessarily the winning driver of the season. What were your, what are your opinions on it? Do you think that's a possibility with, the, with how the cars are, are working at the moment and the, the team are looking? I think it might be the other way around. You might get, okay. you might get Verstappen winning the Drivers' Championship and Mercedes winning the Constructors' Championship. Um, okay. Just because, as much as I've slated Botas during this recording, um, he he is at least relatively safe hands—not spectacular hands, but safe hands. Um, I, I, I so much will depend on whether or not Perez can 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 consistently come up with the pace necessary. I think the constructors' championship is going to come down to the second driver in each team, and at the moment, mm. I would favour Botas. Um, Perez okay. Perez on a good day, but. Botus over the season, so we'll see how that unfolds. We will, we will. Well, that was the news article that obviously uh, Red Bull have, have stated their intentions uh, of becoming a, a very good constructor of engines as well as uh, great in the aero design packages as well. Um, other, another news um, article that dropped uh, this week um, was, of course, finally uh, FIA and the F1 and all the drivers and teams and uh, everything, everyone has agreed to the three sprint races um, this year. Now, are we excited about this? Are you excited about this, Sean? Well, I, I'm very much split in half on this because one half of me is aghast because as a statistician, as a keeper of yeah. Formula One's history, we'll now forever have this split here. Who... Which which one of these is pole position? Was it Friday or Saturday? <laughs> well, yeah. Was it is it is it the yeah, one lap true. or is it the race? Which one do we count as a pole position though? I guess it has to be the Saturday race because pole position right. is 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 deemed as the person who was published at the front of the starting grid on the day of the race. So mm. that comes from Saturday, but the person on pole position did not set a qualifying time. So we know. So that means. That now we have to set a separate category for Friday, um, mm. and when it comes to these debates, which you know, whenever you have these debates concerning Senna or Jim Clark or Fangio, yeah, who's the quickest over one lap? Well, now it's a convoluted conversation that we're going to have. Who's quickest over one lap? Well, when it's on Friday, it could be this driver, but you know, maybe if it was, they were more concerned about it on on Saturday because there's only the one session and it's. Uh, you know, you don't have a sprint race. Maybe it was another guy. You know, you have this extra caveat to it. On the other hand, and I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, you don't go to a Grand Prix for the numbers. You go to a Grand Prix to be entertained. You go to a Grand Prix to see drivers race each other, and you want to see wheel-to-wheel action. And if it make if it improves that, then that can only be good. And that's a self-serving opinion as well. Because remember, I'm someone who works in the sport. If more mm. people watch the sport because of this, that means I, I'm going to get more work. So, yeah, 
you look at it from that perspective. You can't slate it and say, well, this is terrible for the sport, you know, blah, 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 but it's not how we do it. A lot of things in Formula One are not how we used to do it, but we survived. Yeah. We didn't used to do, mm -hmm. we didn't used to have elimination qualifying and that we did that and it turned out, hey, this is much better because now the cars are definitely going out on the track right away. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the fence, you could say. And, and, and one other thing it does do is it makes Friday relevant again. Friday has always been a bit of a, just just sitting around watching cars go around the track. There wasn't a lot we could do. Now suddenly mm. there is a reason to watch Friday again. There is something tangible that you get from Friday that, that has a knock on effect on the rest of the weekend. And that, that's that, that makes a difference for ratings, TV ratings, and it makes a big difference for people who wanna go and watch a race. Because now you're thinking, let's go for the full three days, not let's just go Saturday, Sunday, or just Sunday. Now you're thinking, oh, let's make a weekend of it. There's something important happening every day of that weekend. And it's big for the promoters mm. as well, because there's been a lot of pressure to try and compress these into two day weekends, like we had at Imola last year. Now, yeah. now, there's, now it's like, okay, this is a three day show, folks. And act one is Friday, mm. act two is Saturday, act three is Sunday. We haven't had that for 25 years, not since we had Friday qualifying abolished at the end of 95. So I'm discounting the Friday qualifying we had in 03, 04, because it really didn't count for much. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it adds, it, it could be revolutionary, but it would still mm -hmm. be a bit of a tough pill to swallow for purists such as myself. And I suspect the rest of us sitting around this virtual table right now, it, will, yeah. it might take some getting used to, but if it ends up with, wow, what a spectacular weekend, then then we're all winners. Yeah, so you're obviously looking at it from the show perspective, but what about actually, is it gonna make much difference to the the, the, the position of the drivers on the on the Sunday race? I I can't see it having a massive effect, if I'm I'm truly honest. I think what would have, obviously, if we, if we had the, re, the reverse grid that was proposed uh, initially last year, but obviously all the teams were like, were like, no, no, that's not for Formula One. Um, but I just now now it's kind of you know that they they start in the in their finishing positions. I, I can't see it really having a massive effect uh, on the race uh, race results myself. Uh, what what do you think? Well, I'm 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 very pleased they didn't do the reverse grid because it is supposed to be meritocracy and the reverse grid yeah. ha had came with a big huge sign that says we can game the system as we saw at yeah, Silverstone. It's a gimmick. In, uh, it's a gimmick. We absolutely. saw at Silverstone in '04. First qualifying at Silverstone in 04, we had the cars. Firstly, the Ferraris deliberately spun to make it look like they messed up their laps. But then they realized okay. everybody else was onto them because everybody else was coming mm. around the last corner and hitting the brakes to slow down. And the reason was because they wanted, what it used to be is that the results of the first session was the running order for the second session. And that was the bit that decided mm. the grid. And they thought rain was coming towards the end of the second session. So they all gamed the system in Q1 so they could go first in Q2 and avoid the rain. That's the sort yeah. of thing you might be able to get with a reverse grid. I mean, one, one scenario I presented was, what if you have a reverse grid in Monaco, right? Now what, yeah. go with me on this. This is a little bit, <laughs> bit long-winded, but imagine this scenario. What if we have a, like a, a terrible wet race um, in the Spanish Grand Prix, which has happened before, um, and Russell or Latifi is running in eighth place or something like that, you know? And it moves, yeah. it's going to move them up in the championship accordingly. Mm. But at the detriment of meaning they won't be on the reverse grid pole in Monte Carlo. Does that mean that they then throw the race in, at, in Barcelona because they think, hey, wait a minute, we might win the Monaco Grand Prix. Okay, yeah. we've, we're, we're cutting out. We're, we're, seventh and eighth is not good enough for us. We are stopping. 
because we yeah. want the reverse grid pole in Monaco. So that was a scenario that I was really worried about. And now that's off the table. We don't have that reverse grid proposal. I'm not sure about the idea of having points uh, from Saturday because that also means now mm. that the championship could be decided on Saturday. And if you go into a last round decider yeah. and you don't even make it to Sunday before the championship's decided, it's all, the whole thing's mm. a massive letdown. So there are some things that I, I object to, but again, at least, at least it's fastest driver on Fridays on sprint pole. Driver first in the sprint race is on pole in the main race. At least it's yeah. still that. What happens? I've not, I've not, I've not looked too into it. Um, what happens um, with the sprint race if um, you have an accident? Um, so you know, Hamilton goes off at the first corner. Um, that that means it can affect massively the the Sunday race because you'll be starting from the back of the grid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, much like in qualifying, though. Really, um, I don't know. Yeah, but if it crashes in Q three, he'll start. You know, unless he needs to replace something, he'll start tenth. Yes, that's true. Uh, oh yes, because you got the, you still got the splits, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like you say, the and the analysts in the team would have manipulated a reverse grid a bit like they did with the um, when the one engine rules came in. Um, teams were finishing the race um, retiring cars before the end of the race so that they could change the engines for the yeah. next race so there's always going to be people in a team that are going to manipulate oh, we still, stuff we like still that. get that now we still, still do that, that now with the, yeah, the gearboxes yeah yeah they'll, yeah. they'll stop the car for a reason and then yeah. change yeah. the gearbox uh, th- th- thankfully they're not, sure... too, they're not too opaque about it they're just like we just withdrew because we were three laps down and we wanted a new gearbox which yeah. I'm, yeah. which I'm totally yeah. fine with. I don't mind them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's what we. If I was the team manager, that's what I'd do. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Formula One, you know, seventy years, it's changed. Um, I, I like the idea that they are looking at changing the format. Um, I definitely agree with Sean that you know, reverse grids would have had much more scope for manipulation than this this system. Um, so like, I like the fact that they're, they're trialling it in only three races. I think instead of in the old Bernie days of just, you know, this is what we're doing from now on. Um, and then they, you know, you saw that with qualifying with the one lap qualifying um, in the 2000s. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's a good idea. And I think it's a good way to do it with three races um, and just see, like you say, see what happens. Um, I've, I've got I've got the opinion of it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, kind of thing. Because for for years we've tried lots of different you know uh, qualifying methods, and we seem to have got into a, 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 a it's it's a great format now. We've got uh, cars on the track for the whole hour, um, and we we get occasionally a nice mixed up grid uh, when when someone's had a decent you know Q Q three and Q two, and they've got into, look at the Tifi yeah, in the last race there, exactly. getting through the Q two exactly. So in my mind. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, and and we should, we should stick what we've got. I mean, there was that terrible year in two, was it two thousand and fifteen or sixteen when they tried that um, the knockout sixteen um, sixteen yeah, yeah. lasted two and races they that, and they just the teams hadn't got a clue they they, were, they thought that they thought when the when the time started at fifteen they could all have the extra lap if they'd crossed the line but then they they hadn't and and they were like they were all yeah, scratching yeah. their head going. Well, we don't understand this, and and nobody understood it. And it was just a proof that we didn't need to change the format. I think, uh, in my mind, true, true. Um, but the entertainment faction of Formula One will look at the last seven years. The, the fastest car has won the championship, mm. and they and the, and the public are saying, "Oh, the Mercedes always qualify first and second, and then this year it'll be you know when everything gets running, our oh, Red Bull always qualify first and second. So um, I think it, it's definitely driven from the entertainment faction of Formula One to see if there's a way to 
enhance that entertainment for the public and i think I mean, it's not it's not a bad idea to try something. james i would yeah. say that we are keeping the product rather than breaking the product because we still have regular qualifying on friday so we do still yeah. have that one lap element to it how it how it applies to the record books is 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 ambiguous but yeah. we do at least still have that and yeah. there is still a penalty for getting it wrong in qualifying which is you're going to be starting down the back here for this sprint race and the sprint race is only 100 kilometers so you haven't got all day to get up to, into the points you know you've got to get a move mm -hmm. on um so there will still be a penalty for that sorry i've not i've not brushed up on this um will they have to is a uh, pit stop mandatory no no in the sprint no so they did they just race it's just a race yeah. right similar format to the formula 2 sprint race or as was we don't do that anymore. now we've got yeah. three now we've got three races yeah. this uh, weekend for f2 um so they've changed that format mm. too um yeah it, it's if i take my purist's hat off uh -huh. i can see a lot of upside in this and i, I okay. and i hate that i'm saying that because <laughs> i almost feel like i'm going against my religion but i i hate mm -hmm. I, I i begrudgingly admit this does look like a very good format and although it's it screws your spreadsheet up but you're, you're liking the format exactly but the, as i said before we don't go to Formula One races to look at spreadsheets. Mm. We go to see the best drivers in the world be tested. And for instance, if it rains on Friday now, you know, like take a lot of races last year, Friday, they'd be like this. Mm. So for, mm. those, for those only listening, I'm leaning back in my chair with my arms <laughs> behind my <laughs> Taking it easy, thinking, not going out there, it's ridiculous. Now they're forced out there. Now it's, no, you've got to go out there and do it in the wet. Mm -hmm. And it, and it has knock-on implications, even if the rest of the weekend's dry. So cool. I wonder if, um, as well, I wonder if the FA will be a bit more relaxed in letting sessions go ahead, even if they're wet. I know there was a lot of sessions last year where they maybe thought it was too wet to go out. But now with this format where they really need to get the drivers out there to qualify, will they be a bit more relaxed about just letting them get out there? No, I don't think they will be. Safety is um, still number knows. one concern. Isn't yes, it? Yeah. as as I say so many times, Isaac Newton does not discriminate. <laughs> he doesn't care what <laughs> session this is. The laws of physics work the same. Yeah. So if you couldn't yeah. race, if you couldn't practice in it, you can't qualify in it. You can't race in it. Um, let's move on to the next uh, subject because I realise we're going to be here all night otherwise, and uh, I'm sure uh, Sean wants to go and have his lunch all day in my all, case. All day in uh, in yeah in Sean's case over in the states. Um, the, the only other news that's dropped was Callum Mylott as as uh, as been named as the reserve driver for Alpha, Alpha Romeo. So that's you know great because we were all shocked that they didn't get a seat this year. Um, obviously there were there were extenuating extenuating circumstances with uh, Russian billionaires and whatnot um, coming into coming into place, uh, maybe taking those seats. Um, but Callum Mylott is a, a fantastic racer, don't you agree, Sean? Do you do you think he he deserves a seat? in the uh, in f1 well if mazapin deserves to be in f1 then so does isla so um, and, and i'm not saying i'm not saying that facetiously no. you know it's just purely from performance i mean isla was the runner-up in f2 last year yeah uh, in between mick schumacher and mazapin yeah. so if you think mazapin should be in there then isla should definitely be in there uh i see adam is is <laughs> adam is making the <laughs> universally recognized symbol for money yeah. Um, by rubbing the finger and thumb together. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you have the no, right bank balance, you get an F1. It's true. I mean, Alan McNish said this, Formula One's the only sport in the world where you can buy your way in at the top level. There's no other sport where you can do that. Mm. You have to have pure skill, but you don't need that in Formula One. You just need money. 
Um, and unfortunately, Mazepin, the family Mazepin, has more money than the family Islet. Um, yes. But, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. I would say that I would say that Islet's probably looking at Haas right now and saying, actually, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> you carry, on. <laughs> carry on with that, lads. Have a, have a best yeah. of luck with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was the, there was a story as well um, that came out today about the uh, the IndyCar team saying that Colton Herter should have had that seat as well. Um, but again, he's probably happy that he didn't because he won the IndyCar race at uh, St. Petersburg. Yeah, and they need to be careful uh, with Colton because they, if they just stick him in another back of the grid team, people are just going to say, "Well, what, what was the fuss about?" Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. It, and, yeah. and it's it's a tougher transition for him because you know, bear in mind IndyCar's are fourteen seconds a lap slower around Cosa. That's a big step up, and don't underestimate the big step up in terms of speed and fitness required. Yeah. Um, so, he, if you're already at the back of the grid, you're already on hiding to nothing. Um, yeah, they need to take that into consideration. I, I don't want to get too excited about the next American driver. Uh, <laughs> he'd, be, he, he'd be the top prospect at the moment, but there is there is a yawning yeah. chasm in 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 pace. Formula Two is probably closer to Formula One than, than IndyCar is to Formula One, okay. um, which always seems shocking. Yeah, in, in absolute pace, they've been on the same racetrack, and IndyCar was nowhere near Formula One. So, yeah, that was circuit. It was a circuit Americas, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then they were even going off track to get faster lines, and they were still fourteen seconds slower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, that, not that that's a bad thing no. in isolation. Because no. IndyCar, I love IndyCar. Everybody does. I love, uh, yeah, I love IndyCar. Um, yeah. And you know, it's obviously a far more competitive environment than F1 in terms of who might win. Um, but they're just not comparable in terms of ultimate performance. Formula One is far and away faster. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's pretty much all the news that's dropped this week. We're quite happy with the uh, Callum Island getting a getting sort of a seat uh, within the Alpha. It means he's going to be in the Friday uh, free practice uh, in the coming week uh, in Portugal. So we'll get to see him on track at least. Um, let's move on to the star of the show. Uh, he's been talking uh, quite a bit in this uh, podcast already. He's, he's looking around like he's like there's somebody else. He's, 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 looking, he's, looking, he's looking for the, he's looking for the seagull. He's looking for Dennis. Is there a mystery guest or something? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know. It is of course David Croft coming on. <laughs> it's, it's Dennis the seagull. <laughs> Derek, 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 Derek. Sorry, Dennis is on holiday today. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we are talking about uh, Sean the Statman Kelly. Um, now I know about him. I've I've listened to him on, on multiple things, um, but let's hear him in his own words. Who are you, uh, Sean Kelly, and what is it that you actually do? For the listeners that might not know. I can't tell you the amount of times people have asked me that, even from within my own family. <laughs> what, what, well done, Sean, for everything you've done. I don't know what it is you do, but well done on whatever it is that you're doing right now. <laughs> um, who am I? I am Sean Kelly. I was born in Shrewsbury, birthplace of Charles Darwin, the original <laughs> Chuck D. He is the only one of the two of us who currently has a statue in Shrewsbury, but I'm working <laughs> on mine. I started work as a Formula One statistician back in 2003, and somehow, I don't know how, I'm still here. <laughs> um, and I provide all of the facts and figures to the domestic broadcasters, to Formula One, sometimes to the teams themselves, yeah. um, and a few other bits and bobs on the side whenever people need me to do stuff. So not just for F1, but for F2, F3, W Series this season, now that they're racing alongside F1 on the on starting at Paul Ricard, uh -huh. um, and also the Formula E Championship. So that's what I do, for better or for worse. 
Okay, and how does one get themselves a job uh, doing this? The three questions I get asked most. <laughs> I'm sorry, how I'm being job? <laughs> how did you get your job? Can I have your job? Do you need an assistant? Those are always the same thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, a valid question. How did you get in? Well, my, my career path is faintly ridiculous. Mm. Um, normally, in, if you want to work in Formula One, you stay in school, you get a degree, make sure your, your academics... The academic standards are up to up to scratch. Um, you maybe you know mooch around the racetracks, you know, go out to Thruxton and do some F3 or something like that, or th this sort of thing. I did none of that. Um, <laughs> I dropped out. I dropped out of college, um, so I had no no credentials whatsoever in that department. Um, I didn't know anybody in Formula One. My former my family's not from a Formula One background, so I I had no in. Mm -hmm. um, and and then worse still, I came to America. Um, as I always say, inevitably, there was a woman involved. Yes. So <laughs> you would say, okay, how did this guy end up in Formula One? Well, what happened was um, one of my old jobs was I was telemarketing double glazing windows. And during that, I learned how to sell things down the telephone that the person at the other end didn't think they wanted. Right. So at the end of 2002, having had several years of people tell me when they'd watch a Grand Prix with me, you should get a job doing that. You, you, you telling things to them that they don't say for like 20 minutes later when it's already like after the fact. Yeah. And you're saying it to them as they're saying, as it's coming out of their mouth. You should get a job doing that. And I thought, yeah, screw it. Let's call up the American broadcaster and see how we do. So I spent like two days trying to find the number of the producer. I called Fox Sports in Phoenix where I was, then Fox Sports in LA. Mm -hmm. They directed me to Fox Sports in Charlotte. Eventually, I got through the Speed Channel, which was the broadcaster. Um, got the got the switchboard. Can I speak to the Formula One producer? They then uh, put me through to the producer. Got to his voicemail, and I left him a message, something along the lines of, "This is going to change your life. This is going to be a fantastic day opportunity for you," or whatever spiel I gave. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> put the phone down. I thought that's the last time I will ever hear anything to do with this ever. Three days later, I got a phone call back. And I was asleep because it was in Phoenix. I, it was three hours difference between Phoenix and Charlotte. He called me at 11 a.m. in Charlotte. It was right. 8 a.m. for me. And I was still laying in bed. And suddenly, <laughs> my girlfriend came running into it's Speed Channel. It's Speed Channel. Why? 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 So I'm getting dragged out of bed. Like, <laughs> <coughs> hello. Um, oh, yes. I just caught me during breakfast. I was half asleep within the walls. Um, and it was the producer, Frank Wilson, who. Um, you know, had a chat with me about what they do and what I could do. And, you know, I didn't have much to offer him at that point, but mm. I said, would you, would you like me to put something together to give you an idea? And he said, sure. Can you have it ready for me in 24 hours? I said, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll fax it to you. It was fax. We were faxing back then. I was like, how, pre, how prehistoric. We were back then. <laughs> it's almost as bad as smoke signals. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, I sent a telegram. <laughs> <laughs> um, dot, 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 dot. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I put the phone down and thought, what the, what am I going to do in 24 hours? I don't, I don't know what they expect, what standard they want, what format it's supposed to be in. Mm -hmm. So I had like 24 hours to come up with something. So I did that. I come up with something. I come up with a pack for like the, the Japanese Grand Prix of 02, which has been the, the braces that just happened like two weeks earlier and um, sent that off to them. And then at the same time, I said, could you send me what you've been using? So they faxed back what they'd been using. And that's where it came. That's where the, the tipping point came. Because I went through it with, a, with a, um, a, a pen and 
corrected it like a teacher marking a paper. <laughs> this, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is uh, ambiguous use of language. This is not quite the way you would say it on the air. But, and I was I was in my element at that point because I was like, no, no, you wouldn't say it like this. This is you know, blah, blah, blah. This happened at this race, not that race. And fax that back to them like 15 minutes later saying, here, I just did that clearly because I've just seen it. You, yeah. you know, the timestamp is there. You've only just shown me this and here's all the things I would fix on it. And a few more months elapsed and eventually Frank offered me a job. And I, I've told this story so many times. He offered me a job for $200 a weekend. Come and do Formula One. Wow. For 200 bucks a weekend, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very small amount of money. Yeah, tiny. You know, that's like 130 quid, right? Mm-hmm. For what is essentially two weeks work. I accepted on the spot, of course, because I was 22 years old. I was thinking, oh, wow, I'm getting paid to watch Grand Prix. Fantastic. <laughs> and, um, and that's how it started. The first year, no money at all, but I was in. Yeah. You know, you, once you're in, you just take, you take whatever opportunity you can to get in the door. And, and it, thankfully, once I started producing stuff, they were quite impressed with the standard. Um, right. So they, they kept me on. And then in 04, they offered me a, a proper contract. And also, I realized midway through 03, if they need my services, well, what about all the other broadcasters? Surely they need the same stuff because we're all watching the same world feed. Yeah. So in 04, I started offering in syndication. Um, and now there's 16 broadcasters um, at Formula One themselves. And as I mentioned, a, a few of the F1 teams as well on the roster. So wow. uh, it, all, it all grew from that telemarketing double glazing in a basement in Shrewsbury. That's kind that's, of a that's what, dream that's what come true, in. isn't it? Dream come true for you, really. I'm guessing you, you were watching the sport from a very, very, very young age. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because this weekend, I've been doing the calculations. This weekend is my 600th Grand Prix as a fan of Formula One. Wow. Uh, my first race was Brazil 1987 when I was six. Okay. Um, and that, even that was an accident. I had to watch what my brother was watching because he had the remote. He's older than me. <laughs> and he wanted to watch the highlights of the Brazilian Grand Prix. So that's what we had on the goggle box that night. And I took a shine to it without consciously realizing it. I just was enamored by it. Yeah. And off we went. I've only missed two races since. That was Estoril 89 and Monaco 92. Okay. And, uh, oh, yeah, the classic finish as well, Monaco 92. That's the, that's you... the only race I voluntarily skipped. And oh, that no. was because Mansell <laughs> won the first five that year. And Mansell was, yeah. was my favorite driver. Williams were my favorite team. And even I was sick of it. I was like, this, is so, this, is, <laughs> this is so incredibly predictable to the point where I don't care. Mm. Um, so I went to my mate Stephen Wilson's house. And then when I came back, I found out that Senna had won the race. So <laughs> that was the last time I did that. Have you Literally s- the last time. I'm guessing subsequently you've caught up with those those uh, races and they're now part of your knowledge, yeah, knowledge base. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, obviously I wasn't in the dark about them. I just mean I didn't watch them on the day that they took place. Right. Estoril 89 was different because back in the days of BBC Sunday Grandstand, it was bumped from the schedules by the, um, the neck and neck conclusion to the Ryder Cup which was on the same day. Okay. So Estoril got bumped off the schedule. Um, and the highlights that night were on at like 1 a.m. And my dad wouldn't let me stay up that late because it was only nine. <laughs> so I never, so, I, so I, never, I, never saw that, I never saw that race on the day. I've seen it since, but not never on the day. But I, and I always watch the highlights of that race. I'm like, that's the race I missed. God, damn it. Uh, so how do you do it then? Obviously, you've got some kind of really clever brain that can store and keep all these facts. Uh, and obviously, maybe a, a very powerful Excel spreadsheet. Uh, how, how do you do it? How do you, how do you remember all these facts? Is it just because you're so interested in the sport? 
Yeah, I think I, I think that anything, you know, we all have a particular passion or pursuit in life mm. um, where we know th- a lot more than the average person. I'm, I'm totally convinced that everybody has a, a world-class ability and some never find out what it is. They never find that hobby that they really love. Mm-hmm. Um, those who do, most of them don't get the opportunity to do it as a career. Yeah. Um, so I've always considered myself very lucky that I discovered what it was so early and stuck with it and then eventually made it a career. Mm. Um, but how I go about it, it honestly, it, it's, not, it's not a miracle. It's just days and days and days of studying. Mm. Um, it used to be, I guess it used to be more of a miracle when I was a fan because I didn't sit there and study. But now I'm faced with this material every day and I get emails from teams, from broadcasters saying, what about this, what about this? You know, do you know the answer to this? Uh, could we study, could we have a look into this? Uh-huh. So inevitably you know i always say if if you're a plumber you over 18 years you start to get a sixth sense of okay this is what we need to do yeah this is how we should fix this and this is what we should, how we should go about it it's the same with this um so you're doing a lot of research probably for each grand prix uh three days of research um and um yeah you just there's not there's there's nothing more trick than that honestly you've got uh the forex database which everybody uses which is the industry standard which everybody can subscribe to right and, and i got a few bells and whistles of my own um uh, database wise that i can call on mm-hmm. um and then it's not more complicated than that the, the, the rest of it you know when you ask yourself off the stop off the top of your head like, like for instance gary's gary's um background there um, which before we started recording, I, I came up as soon as I appeared, I said, ah, that's a nice picture of Alan Prost at the 1986 Italian Grand Prix. That stuff comes off the top of my head. Obviously, I haven't studied where that is. No. Um, just know where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other stuff, you have to make sure we are on the air. You do have 50 million people around the world watching the broadcast, and a lot of broadcasters are putting this out. So if you're wrong, you're going to make them look like idiots. Yeah, which is a really good way to not have a job. <laughs> so <laughs> you need to not you you don't want to rely on your sixth sense. You want to go and check it and say, "Am I remembering this correctly?" Yeah, um, because I've tripped up by being I, that hubris has caught up to me in the past. Oh, so, so you, have you made a mistake then? So have you made any really epic mistakes that have uh, got you in, in in hot water? Um. I don't think I've made any mistakes where I've got into genuine trouble. Right. I ha- I've certainly made, I've, yeah, I make mistakes every weekend because you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of facts and figures and sometimes some slip the net. It's just an inevitability. Mm-hmm. Um, what you want to make sure is that you don't screw up the big numbers. Like, don't say this is an all-time record when it isn't. Um, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, little stuff. Like if you said, like earlier when we were discussing was Perez seventh or sixth in this race last year, no one's going to argue the toss if I said sixth and he was seventh. They're like, yeah, we get what you meant. Yeah. But if I said, hey, Perez broke the all-time record for wins in that race. <laughs> say what? <laughs> that's definitely wrong. I know that's wrong. Yeah. Um, so you've got to make sure, you know, you, you put more time into the stuff where you think, let's check this is right. A good example, Bahrain this year, Hamilton broke the record for the most laps led. Right. And... I was having to keep a running total of every single lap he led because we had to get the, the graphic on screen, which ran when he passed 5,111 laps led. We had to put it on as he crossed the line. And FOM were getting on me, FOM, Formula One. Yeah. We're checking, yeah, it's, it's end of lap 40, you say. Yes, end of lap 40, whatever it was. Um, and then he came into the pits 
like two laps before he broke the record. <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> now I've got to keep up. Like, if he retakes the lead, we need to make sure if there's a battle between him and Verstappen, we need to make sure that he continues to cross the line in the lead. Yeah. Because he might break the record with them. What if they're wheel to wheel crossing the line? Like, one pass and the other. Did he break the record that lap? I don't know. Um, <laughs> So you have to keep keep an eye on that and, and make sure that that's right. Um, but yeah, your biggest nightmare is when you say it's a record and it, it's not a record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah bury that one. Absolutely. Uh, so so in terms of going into the weekend, uh, do you know? For, for let's let's talk Portimao for for you know just because it's coming up. What what kind of information do you prepare for uh, the the, ch- the channels in advance, or is it all just kind of sent to them on a screen uh, during the race? It's done both both ways. Um, a, a pack has already been sent out, which was sent out on uh, Sunday morning, okay. for all the broadcasters and, and commentators to study, so they know. Okay, here's what's coming down the pipe this weekend. So obviously, the big the, the headline this weekend: Lewis Hamilton can he hit 100 pole positions in his career? Only five constructors have ever done that, and he's going to do it as a driver. Um, <laughs> wow. So you know stuff like that, and it's also it's the same racetrack where he broke the record for the most wins. So it's like landmark city in Portimao. Um, and then the, it, it, you drill down into, into the nuances of it. For instance, Ayrton Senna, this will be a Senna commemoration this weekend because Saturday is May the 1st. Um, well, Ayrton Senna actually had a, a, a home in um, near what is now Portimao, okay. uh, down, just down the coast. Um, he, he had a, a European home there because obviously it's Portugal. He's Portuguese native speaker. And uh, it's, still, it's still there. And it was re- it was recently up for sale. I think it was ten million euros. So, wow. um, yeah, little nuanced stuff like that. So you're not just talking discrete numbers to do with the racing, but also uh, any background you can offer to make the story interesting. Okay, and and in terms of the detail of all the different things that you do record, do you record like things uh, such as like unforced driver errors, um, like like in tennis, I guess, uh, unforced errors. Uh, or is it no no no, i try not to uh i steer clear of that stuff because that's that's an ambiguity right like was that an error or wasn't it an error any any category where you can have that i tend to avoid uh for instance i don't log overtakes um other people do forex do um i know pirelli do yeah and they all and they all come up with different numbers the other day, there was, a, there was an article on Autosport a couple of days ago where they mentioned the most overtakes in a race is 160 at China 2016. Yeah. Well, Forex have that at rec- have that number at 128. That's quite a different number. Yeah. So in the Autosport uh, article, because I read I, I read that same article, but didn't they say that they only count the ones that actually that, that have changed place uh, during the full lap? So when they cross the line again, if they've changed. So yeah. any any overtakes that have during the in, in the actual around the lap itself that might have come back. Uh, over over a few corners, um, they're not counted right. as as overtakes apparently. Correct. Is that yeah, a general because, rule? Um, it, it's more. I think it's more. It's simpler, and also it means that it can be cross referenced with past data because that data begins in 1983, uh, was right. when they started logging overtake data. But they didn't have it for GPS back then, obviously. Hmm. So you couldn't cross reference a race from 1983 from a race with tw- in 2021. But you can using this method. Uh, but as you mentioned, you could lose, you could have two passes there, but it adds up to net zero. Yeah. So again, you have that, you know, you could say, uh, Hamilton has not been overtaken in a race this season. Yes, he was. Verstappen passed him and then Hamilton repassed him. Oh, well, I've just made everybody look stupid on live television. <laughs> so that's why, 
that's why you avoid that stuff. I can say Hamilton would take his 100th pole position this weekend because I can show you FIA documentation that would say this is his 100th pole. He has 99 other ones. Yeah. But with, with, but with overtakes and, and, and unforced errors and things like that, you can speculate. You can say unofficially it's this, mm-hmm. but you definitely don't, you don't say it is, this is the absolute thing. Yeah. You know, like Portima, you can say ranks top in overtakes and Imola ranks at the bottom. But we're using the same, in that category, we're using the same um, uh, method to corroborate the data. Right. Um, so I, I feel like, okay, I've got enough, I've got enough artistic license here that I can get away with saying that's the most. Right. Uh, with a race in 1983 or anything like that, because we, you know, the, the GPS stuff, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I, have, I generally avoid overtaking is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's not a subject we do have, that we, you like to talk about. We do, yeah, we have, three, we have three Grand Prix in history where we have zero overtakes, which is... Um, Monaco 03, USA 05, and Valencia 09, I think it was. Um, and again, there might have been a pass and a repass somewhere. So was there zero overtakes? Yeah. Um, we're going to try and stump the stat man, as it were. <laughs> I was trying to think of a non-cricket term uh, to, to go with that, but I couldn't think of anything It's funny, alliterative. Every, everywhere I go, when someone asks me questions like that, that's exactly how they term it. They say it was, let's try and stomp the stat man. That's, <laughs> literally, any time it happens, they come up with that term. Oh. It's, never, it's, ne- it's never, let's make him look like a tit in front of everybody. <laughs> it's always, let's stomp the stat man. So uh, let's go for that question that Gary's just said. Do you want, do you want to word that question, Gary? Yeah, um... I don't know whether I should mention the team. Yeah, I should, I should mention the team name. Um, oh, hang on a minute. Wait, hang on a minute. Why should you mention? The, aren't we doing this at a professional level now? There should be no help. Okay, no help. There is one team in F1 history that has led one lap. Well, I presume you're referring to Minardi, who led lap 40 yes. of the 1989 Portuguese Grand Prix. That very oh, same. See, he got it. That very he same Portuguese Grand Prix that I missed because of the Ryder Cup. That you missed, and and I thought you would not get that question after you said you missed that race. No, uh, Pierre Luigi Martini <laughs> led by like six hundredths of a second crossing the line because he was being passed at the time by Berger, who had just come out of his pit stop. Mm-hmm. So he was credited as leading that lap, and that is the only time Minardi ever led a Grand Prix. Yeah, and I think is that I think that is the only team that's ever only led one lap. I think. I'd be lying to you if correct? I said I knew. <laughs> that's something I'd have to look. Uh, it might not be. It might not be. But um, yeah, yeah, that 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 was one of the questions. Uh, how many races have Porsche engines won? Porsche or tag Porsche? Porsche. Porsche. Porsche or... Just Porsche on their own. Yeah. Uh, just the one, I think. Uh, yeah. Nineteen sixty-two Dutch Grand Prix. Uh-huh. Van Gurney in a Porsche eight hundred four. It's the only air-cooled to win a one race okay uh, I, I think we've actually already touched on this one um earlier actually least number of cars to finish a race the least number least number of cars the, to le- finish a the race. least number at the line was three at the monaco grand prix in 1996 because Heintower frenton was it stopped in the pit lane and the race was over um okay and so everyone remembers panis winning the race it was david coulthard second and johnny herbert in third and Mr. Coulthard wearing Michael Schumacher's helmet. Indeed, because Coulthard's helmet fogged up during the the. In, we had that was the last time we ever had an acclimatization session. There's a, now there's a session that doesn't happen anymore. Acclimatization <laughs> that only happened back then if it was dry all weekend and it rained before the race. They would then schedule an additional 15 minutes sighting for uh, wet running, and that was the last time we had it. And Hacklin had a massive accident to back and completely wrote his car off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to the next question. Jacques Villeneuve and Michael Schumacher shared 12 wins 
and the honours for the championship battle in 1997. However, what didn't they share all season? The podium. They never right. finished on the podium together in 1997. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess after that, the next time Villeneuve would have been on the podium with Schumacher would have been the... <sighs> I think it was the 98 Hungarian Grand Prix. I think when Schumacher won from Hacken and, and Villeneuve was third in a Williams Mechacro. I don't think they were on the podium together at the German Grand Prix that year. I think that was a McLaren 1-2. I may be wrong. I don't remember where Schumacher ended up in that race. Anyways, I'm freestyling now. <laughs> uh, you've already answered the which race had the most finishers because you've already told us it's the European Grand Prix of 2011 where 24 race winners, uh, race uh, cars uh, finished the race. Um, this this one might be a, a bit of an interesting one. I, I, don't, I don't know whether it's a bit ambiguous, the question, so I do apologise if that is the case. There have been three drivers with the surname Hill in F1. So apart from the surname, what major commonality do they share? Huh. I don't know. See, I, it was may, maybe a bit ambiguous with the question there. It's a difficult way of wording the yeah. question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's... Maybe think of their, their teammates. Is that too much of a hint? But they all had teammates who had suffered fatal accidents. If that's if that counts, Jim Clark, Wolfgang Bonsch. Yeah, that, it seven. wasn't that. That wasn't what we were thinking. Actually, um, it's, it's 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 more of an it's it's quite obvious. It's more of an achievement thing. Well, they all won the world title. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> <that's, that's> <laughs> I thought it was naturally assumed it's something more complex than that. No, too easy. Um, no. No, um, too easy, too easy. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> let, let's uh, let's right. ask our last question then, because uh, I realise what time we are, we are coming up to. Um, when was the first active suspension win in F1? That was Ayrton Senna at the Monaco Grand Prix of 1987. We didn't um, we didn't get him, Gary. We didn't get him. No. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. When was uh, active suspension first used in Formula One? It was first used at the beginning of 1983. It was a system. Damn. It was a system that was used. Um, uh, Adam has his hand up. Go ahead, Adam. No, I just want to ask um, what uh, what will, what will Lewis Hamilton's next record break be, if next, that makes sense. The next record he could break, probably the most titles. Um, I mean, every, he's got every other major um, success record. So most titles this year, if he wins, it would be eight. But um, also at Portimao, he's, uh, he's got the pit, the pole positions, that, that one, the new record. Well, he already has that record. Yeah, he's going to beat so his he's own. Break, he's not breaking the record. No, that's yeah. true. Um, uh, so, yeah, most titles. And then after that, um, he he's a long way off on fastest laps. He's something like 22 off, off of Schumacher. So he's quite a long way off there. Um, yeah, beyond beyond titles, I can't really think of another one. Um, there, there's a couple of single circuit records, like most poles at the same racetrack. Um, he has eight poles at, um, Hung, I think, Hungaroring. I think he has eight poles at Hungaroring and at Albert Park. No one's ever taken nine poles at the same racetrack. So he could get that record. So there's little nuance records like that, but this may, the main, the real meat of it, real success records. Yeah, I think that's the main one. Um, I've got one to ask. Um, obviously, you know, the, the three guys at Haref 1997 got the pole time and started one, two, three on the grid. Um, was there any other instances in Formula One where there was an equal time for 
the first place. There was a lot. There was. It did happen quite a lot. Uh, actually, happened in Portugal in the fifties and 1959, I think, where we had same time for pole position. But that was back when uh, the pole was taken to one decimal place. Uh, it yeah. has never happened since we started using um, three decimal places. The first time we used three decimal places was US Grand Prix in 1971. Um, yeah. And it was uh, across the board, I think by, I think it was the start of 82 was when we used it in every race. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had never, it's never reoccurred. We've never had a tie for pole position other than that one. And we had three that day. So is, is Lewis Hamilton the person with the most records in Formula One? Um, is he, is he a, a, stat, a statistician's wet dream, uh, as it were? Let me assure you one thing. <laughs> My wet dreams don't involve Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't believe anybody who says that otherwise. But um, yeah, uh, he, he almost certainly would be. I've never counted up. And again, it's, it's ambiguous. You know, how many records, you, know, you could say most driver who's led at the end of lap two more often than everybody else yeah. and then you've got another <laughs> then you've got a whole another category yeah so the only drive the only driver that's won an f1 race with three tires inflated uh yeah well that's even that's <laughs> ambiguous because jim clark won watkins Glen 1966 on three wheels so no way yeah. okay. so that, that stuff's happened before um okay so it, yeah I, I hesitate to say he's got the most records but certainly the major records absolutely I'm thinking more about your your career and your, your you know your, your job that you do. Obviously, you're the stat man as well. You're the stat man, and you give statistics to all the uh, operate the the broadcasters. Sorry, um, but you also do the tours for the F1 experience. Obviously, you, you mentioned that uh, earlier on. Um, but what what does that involve? Who, who do you who do you give this to? Is this to big celebrities? Have you have you met any celebrities doing this? Or yeah, you know, give us give us a kind of a, a rundown of what you do with that. Well, I haven't met any big celebrities doing that job specifically. I mean, I've met a few celebrities doing F1 generally, but yeah. not, not in that role. Not yet, anyway. I, I think the pandemic's obviously put the kibosh on it a little bit uh-huh. um, because I'd only recently got into that. Um, I spent 15 years at NBC and at Speed Channel in the US, right. which is why I'm based in the US. Um, and then after that, after NBC went away at the end of 2017, I moved into, I used that spare bandwidth to move to Paddock Club and uh, F1 experiences. So I do that when the cars are not on the track now. Right. So I'm working with the t- I'm working with the broadcasters when cars are on track, and then the rest of the time I'm off dealing with guests. So it's paddock tours, um, and I do the paddock tours. I like to do the paddock tours like it's a grid walk, right? Okay. Like it's your own person. It's like your own personal grid walk. So I wander around the paddock, and I know quite a few people in the paddock. Yeah. Um, having hung around for a while, um, so if I see Coulthard coming our way, you know, I'll be like. Hey, DC, over here. Come up, come up here. We're with friends. We're with friends. Come say hi. Yeah. Um, and that makes it really cool for them because it's rather than saying, hey, this is where, you know, this is the Ferrari motorhome. Yeah. Like, Hang on in there a minute. I can see someone in there who I want to drag out. Wait there a sec. And okay. <laughs> come on. Oh, it's Johnny Herbert. Hey. Okay. <laughs> you know, or whoever. Um, so it makes it a little bit more dynamic for the guests, the way we try and do that. Like, because they, they always, when, when people ever come into the F1 paddock, um, has, has anyone here been in the F1 paddock, by the way? Um, only at Silverstone, uh, 2004. Yeah. So old, old school. And yeah. Perhaps you can relate to this. When you go in the paddock for the first time, you feel like, don't look anyone in the eye. Don't touch, any, yeah. don't touch anything yeah. in case it explodes. <laughs> and be cognizant of the fact that Bernie will vaporize you at any point. Um, <laughs> and, that's the, and the same is true for the people who worked in it. You know, as you, you settle in after 
after a while, but initially it's like that. Okay. So with the guests, you always try and be like, hey, don't worry. I've got the in. All right? You're going to get an experience that people don't normally get. Just stick with me. All right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty fun. Um, and then I do. I do look. Sorry, I was going to say, I do like I do love watching um, Ted's notebook because you kind of get that experience on the TV. Yeah. Um, and you, you see people like yourself, um, the guys that work for Formula One, the guys that work for the TV channels, and, and it's all kind of behind the scenes. And I kind of really like that because it makes you feel like you're part of F1. Right. And, I, and I've been the fan on the outside looking in. And I, and I thought with that, with the paddock tours especially, I always thought, well, what would make me think I've got to do that again? Like mm. next time, I can't, I can't go back to sitting in the stands. This is how I have to do Formula One from now on. I have to have this whole experience because I feel like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm on the inside yeah. of this private yeah. club that you don't normally get to see. And like we're being a bit matey and a bit pally, and it's not like who are you? <laughs> yeah, it's that. That I love that because because of course all the guests go out beaming like that was so cool. I can't believe I just met David Coulthard yeah. or whatever it was. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. And then it, you know I do a thing called Friday Night Insider where I stand in the pit lane and uh, accost our guests with a, a million and one facts and figures to wow their brains. And I, I, I'm always standing in front of a garage, and sometimes the, the mechanics start to play tricks on me right okay they'll, they'll, they'll deliberately fire the engine just as i'm talk, starting to talk <laughs> that's happened that's happened more than once um sometimes they come out and listen like just to make me feel like self-conscious that they're right over my shoulder <laughs> um, yeah all that stuff happens but uh, basically it came about because they i said to them look everyone in the broadcast side comes to me for this sort of information mm -hmm. shouldn't you have someone yeah. like that with your guests and it particularly it pertained to F1 experiences because F1 experiences guests are real petrol heads right. and they want, they want to know like what's the graining process on the Pirelli tire. Yeah. You know? Whereas paddock club is a little bit more of a country club at the racetrack. They're more there. Cause it's like, Oh, well, I've never been to a Grand Prix before, but it's amazing. You know, like they appreciate it, but not to the depth of the F1 experiences fan would. Right. So that's how it came about. It was like, look, if you've got a load of people here who are massive fans, you need to have someone to show them around who knows even more than that. You know, you can't just have a, a, a general chaperone. You, you need to have somebody who's completely on it and can answer, you know, how many races a Porsche won or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so that's how it came about. That's how I got into that. Oh, brilliant. It sounds like it's, uh, you, you've got a great lifestyle. I'm sure you've made, well, you've certainly made three of us uh, envious. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> I'll tell you what, lads. I'll tell you what, lads. If we, if we, when, if and when we get back to normalcy and, and we're all at the racetrack, you, you give me a, you give me a ring, all right, and we'll sort out a paddock tour for you, all right. Oh wow! Yeah, awesome. We will hold Thank you for you. that. We That's will hold awesome. For that. Right, right, right. As much as, as much as my authority allows, I will try. I will try and make will it. Try. I will try and make sure it happens. Yeah. Normally, normally I can make those things happen as a special favor. Wonderful. Let's see if we can do it again. Lovely. Yeah, I, I look forward to it. Well, thank you very much for coming to uh, to speak to us. Obviously, we could probably chat to you for hours on end, but Adam's looking at his stopwatch. I think you have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have exactly. <laughs> Uh, Adam's looking at his stopwatch, trying to think, how can I get this down to an hour and a half? Uh... <laughs> well, the funny thing is, J James, you were clean shaven when we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's been it's been a long one, but it's been very informative for us, and I've enjoyed it. Hopefully, uh, the other lads have enjoyed it, and our fans listening have enjoyed it. Um, we hope that the race is going to be a good one this weekend. 
and we thank you very much for listening. Please head over to our website, www.everythingf1.com. We are on all social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, whatever else there's out there. We're all at Join EF1. Uh, and of course, YouTube, uh, where hopefully a, part, a portion of this interview will be headed. Um, and of course, if, if you want to promote anything for yourself, uh, Sean, have you got your own Twitter uh, or Instagram that you want to promote to our fans? Well, if you haven't had enough of me after more than two hours of me wittering on, <laughs> you can follow, you can go into extended play with at virtual Statman on Twitter and Instagram. Type it into your local interwebery. Perfect. Well, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for everybody listening today. Thank you very much for my team, Adam and Gary, joining us today. And thank you very much to our very special guest, Sean the Statman Kelly. Thank you very much. Oh, you are welcome, James. Uh, we'll see you and speak to you all again next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers.